Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NBA strategy show. It is finally September. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Finally September. I can't believe it's September already. I'm Dave Lockren with me, Sal Vetri. Uh, Sal, I'll tell you what, man. It does not feel like almost six months ago that the entire world was shut down. I may, maybe I'm wrong. My wife says she feels like it's been years. For me, it feels like it happened just yesterday, but we're, we're, we're approaching six months that basketball stopped and baseball never started and hockey was postponed and, and our, our, our lives as we know it are very likely changed forever. We've just hit September of 2020. It's crazy time to be alive. Yeah, it really is, man. I, I literally remember, I think it was like a week before everything went down, we were just talking about seeing some stuff happening overseas. And I was like, and you were talking about hoarding whatever the stuff that you had in your basement, just being extra cautious. And I was like, maybe I should do that back in my head. I was like, I don't need to do that. And then a week later goes by. That was the first thing I thought I was like, that man, that man's prepared out there. And where are you in Pennsylvania? <laughs> I took some heat for that too. Not heat, but yeah, I got, I got made fun of a little bit. I don't, I don't put my business out there on Twitter like that, but yeah, we, we talk about it internally and stuff. Uh, fortunately I didn't need to, to use it as I would have, you know, anticipated. But hey, it doesn't doesn't hurt to be prepared. You know, it yeah, is my, what uh, it is. Let me just. I got, I got an. I got an. I got a, a quick. I got an uncle in uh, Jersey who's. I think he has like a thousand cereal boxes. A thousand. He's not. He just does it because they're deals. They're like buy one get one freeze. But he's he is just naturally prepared for any disasters that are going to happen all the time. Beautiful. Hey, you know what? It doesn't hurt. No, Jordan, you're right. I don't see that we are live. I don't see that we are live. Sal, check on YouTube. See, tell me if you see anything. I see us live. You do? Huh? All right. Well, let's rock then. That's yeah, strange. Um, oh, yeah, we're good. We're good now. Chat. We're good now. Okay, cool. Just popped up. Well, happy to have everyone with us. We got ourselves a two-gamer today. We'll dive right into it here. Not a ton to get into, but I'm sure Sal and I could take this as long as we need to. I promise we won't take up your whole day. Anyway, uh, Sal, Boston and Toronto, Utah and Denver. We'll jump into that quickly, quickly before we do. Just a quick recap on yesterday. The the um, Orlando, or I'm, not, I'm sorry, not the Orlando Magic. The Milwaukee Bucks have have really st struggled in certain postseason spots. Mo Mike Budenholzer's taking maybe a little deserved heat for some of his postseason performances. I, I was on Miami yesterday. Uh, I took the points. I was I wanted to take, and I'm not going to be one of these people, but I had the I had the money line bet there, and I was like, you know what? I just shouldn't do it. It's a stupid bet. It, more times than not, you're going to lose money on that. Uh, but they won 115 to 104 against the Bucks. A Milwaukee team that saw Giannis attempt only 12 shots, and of the free throws he did attempt, 12, made only four, turned the ball over six times. They did a great job of keeping him out of the paint, away from the rim. They knocked down a ton of threes with only four points from Duncan Robinson, and Jimmy Butler just went into playoff mode, beast mode as he's done so many times before, and dropped 40 while Dragic dropped 27. 
a really impressive performance from the Miami Heat. And now the Bucs are down 0-1 heading into second game. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I wonder how much they actually missed Bledsoe at that point. But it seemed like for parts of the game, like Wesley Matthews was fine on Jimmy Butler, and they just didn't give him an extended run. There was no reason not to. It just seemed like they didn't want to do it. And then Jimmy Butler, what, took, took over in the fourth quarter, 15 points, ends up closing the deal. But, yeah, it's interesting because you see Brooke Lopez and Middleton maybe have their best games of the playoffs so far, and it almost goes to waste. So that could be a little bit concerning. We saw this in the first game of the first round, but this is a much better team. I mean, Miami was the only team in the Eastern Conference to beat them twice in the regular season, once in the bubble, actually, before the playoffs started. So this is going to be a series. I mean, it's now obviously not a sweep, and I don't expect a gentleman sweep either. All right, so what about the other game? What about what about Houston and OKC going to game seven? Lou Dort, they basically just give him any shot he wants, and he misses them, or he turns <laughs> it over. Although yesterday he was much better than he was in game five, where he shot three for 16. But, yeah, uh, Chris Paul was – you got to put some respect on that man's name yesterday. And Russell Westbrook was really, really underwhelming in 27 minutes. Some crucial turnovers and air balls to close that game out. Yeah, and it's a combination of a lot of things. Like before, so they've just blown all three of these games down the stretch, whether it's the third quarter or now twice in like the last two to three minutes of the fourth quarter for the Rockets side of it. And like the criticism coming into this game was Harden just being very passive. And he still is during those times. Like just – and it's, it's not a bad thing, but when you're a leader of a team, you kind of want to take over. And he had the opportunities in this game to end it. He misses a three-pointer. He turns the ball over down the stretch. So at this point, it's just everybody's uh, choking down the stretch. It's bad. And then when that's combined with Chris Paul going off for three of three from three, and I think he shot like six of seven in the fourth quarter overall, it's going to be tough to overcome that. And I think Russ had seven turnovers. So he's, he's just been brutal the first two games. They said he's going to stay on some sort of a minutes limit. I'm not even sure right now if they want him out. Like, you obviously have to have him out there closing, but it's a detriment at this point. I mean, he turned the ball over three times in the final five and a half minutes. I was going to ask you, like, is is Russ a liability right now with the way he's, he's currently playing? I mean, when it's coming down to the clutch, it's – I'd rather have the ball in Harden's hands, and it's harder to have that when Russ is on the court, um, just if Russ is going to have it or if Harden wants to be a little bit more passive. Ball is in Russ's hands on almost every single possession late in that game. I couldn't believe yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, like, he did some good things down the stretch. He ends up driving, he finishes a layup, but then there's times where he's airballing in the fourth quarter, turning the ball over those three times. So, yeah, when you when you combat that with just not anybody else on the team really wanted to take a shot outside of Harden, and he's just not making the shots down the stretch, and then everything that's happening for Chris Paul is just going. Like, I'm pretty sure, yeah, I think he shot six or seven exactly. He was, he was 100% from three in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it's just not great. I still think they're going to win the series, but it's interesting with Russ. Like, they are definitely not as good of a team, especially when he's on the court in crunch For time. sure. I think they're going to win too, but I thought also he was very predictable. Outside of that one drive to the rim, every single time was drive and kick. It was almost yeah. like Ben Simmons in the playoffs where you just know what he's going to do driving to the basket. I saw a lot of that from Russ. He'd drive, he'd get about a foot into the paint, and he'd immediately kick it out, hoping someone was open, and they just got ready for it. Defensively, they were ready. So uh, those will be – that's going to be a really fun game seven. We've also got a game seven tonight between Utah and Denver. We'll get to that in just a little bit, but let's kick it off with Boston and Toronto. If you're just tuning in, if you're just walking in the door, hit that thumbs up. You know, it helps us a ton, helps us keep doing free content, get this out to as many people as possible. So if you are watching simplest thing you can do, the easiest way to help support us, hit that thumbs up and share the video as well. You got friends that are in the DFS, family, whatever. Share, share with them, awesomeo.com. Share with them the channel. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. All right, so Boston and Toronto. The uh, the Toronto Raptors got absolutely hammered last game, Sal. It was not competitive pretty much at any point throughout this game to the point where Nick Nurse actually ran out his his – he went deep into the bench in a postseason game because they were down by 20-plus points with less than a half of the fourth quarter remaining. Normally, he would only play eight guys. He'd only play Baca, Powell, and, and Davis off the bench. But uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Thomas, Chris Boucher came out. Uh, Norman Powell and Terrence Davis were out there to close the game. Meanwhile, on the other side, Brad Stevens ran out Poirier, Langford, Williams, Ojale, Wanamaker. It's not common in a game one between two really good teams that you see something like that. So – Let's start it with this, and then we can get into the individual players because I think it's really important that we break down why something like this would happen, whether we think it continues or it was just a really poor shooting game from the Toronto Raptors. 
What did you see in this game that made that, that, that created such a huge gap in production between two very good, uh, I almost want to say equally talented basketball teams? Yeah, so, I mean, shooting is definitely a piece of it. You see, like, Fred Van Vliet somewhat show up kind of flaky in these situations. He was in and out in the finals last year, and just overall, when it's like, when pressure's on, he can kind of be a zero. That's kind of what you got in this last game. He shot two of 11 from three. Some of them were four shots, three of 16 overall. I mean, Siakam gets in foul trouble early on, but they give him, like, a natural break. Like, three fouls, first eight minutes. He still ends up playing, I believe, like, 34 minutes. So, it didn't really matter that much. Maybe he loses a minute or two. It's not the reason they lose by as much as they did. But, yeah, I think just shooting in general, it's two really well-coached teams. I was listening to the Dunked On podcast, and they actually brought up a really good point of – I mean, goes to well coaching. Like Kyle Lowry, you, you're used to getting like 15 free throws a game in these situations. And the way that Boston was defending, like hands in the air off of him, he only gets to the line nine times, which is going to be impactful if you're going to a five-point swing just from his plus minus alone. So, yeah, I don't really take too much from it. I do think Boston's a better team, but I think this is going to be a series, just two really good well-coached teams. The other thing that's interesting is just going through Popcorn Machine in the minutes this morning, Gasol and Ibaka were on the court together for – um, parts of each half. Uh, it was like two, two and a half, three minutes a piece of each half. Minutes, a, they played 52 combined minutes in this game. Right. Yeah. So it was, it was interesting to see that. I, I don't really know if that was just how it kind of went with the rotations. I don't know if that's because Siakam got into that foul trouble early on in the first half, but at least something to monitor moving forward. Um, it's a unique lineup that they rarely ever use. Yeah, and someone mentioned uh, in chat it was Aaron Hines. Toronto notorious for playing poor in playoff game ones. I, th- there's no question that last year Orlando beat them in game one. This year Brooklyn in game one of the quarterfinals almost beat them. Uh, it's something I, I likely am not going to read too much into, but I will say this much. They are, they are definitely in a spot to bounce back today, and – uh, I think, you know, if if you guys are, are sports bettors, Toronto minus one and a half does seem relatively appealing. I'm assuming after last game, a ton of people are going to be all over Boston after what they saw. Uh, I'm not convinced that this is something that should be that, – that I'm not – I don't think it's a prolonged worry for Toronto. They're still a good team. You just broke down a, a lot of what happened, Sal. And, and I think there, I, I, there – We'd be crazy to think that Boston comes in here and routes them through four or five games. It's just not going to happen. They're way too talented. But if we start on the Boston side, what do you make of somebody like Pascal Siakam, who, in all honesty, has has not been he's not been up to snuff in the in the postseason. He's had a couple of solid games, but all in all, he's he's averaging one point one two fantasy points per minute. Again, not terrible, but not what you would have expected from him. Uh, his usage is 26.5%. It leads the team, as a matter of fact, in the postseason. But nobody is really up there. Kyle Lowry is around 19%. Uh, Fred Van Vliet's around 20 there, there are not a lot of high usage guys here. And then on a rebounding front, Pascal Siakam's coming in with um, with a 10.2% rebound rate, which at his position really isn't all that enticing. So uh, is this a good spot to bounce back for him at 8K on DraftKings? Or do we look elsewhere for someone that hasn't really exhibited a big ceiling, doesn't have a single 50 fantasy point game in the postseason thus far, um, which is pretty in, in, pretty interesting, especially knowing that he went up against a bad Brooklyn defense through four games. Yeah, it really is. And he had a couple of really hot starts in those games. And then second half, it's just a fizzled out. coasting. Yeah, fizzled out. And in the first game of this one, it was interesting. Like the shot selection was weird. Like he was just not, I think he had three rebounds, but not in any position from where he was shooting mid-range jump shots which is not really his game, get more efficient shots. He went 0 from 3 from 3, so that doesn't help. But offensive rebounds are just out of the question for him. Abaka being and playing on the more a little bit more than Gasol now, he, he's getting closer to the 30 minutes of run. He's just playing fantastic, Abaka. That's going to push down the rebounding rate a little bit more than Gasol, who's normally floating by the elbow or setting pick and rolls and whatever it might be. But, yeah, Siakam, I had a lot of him in the last game. I tried to leverage it because he was the lowest owned Toronto player out of, like, the big three, big four. Um, and it obviously did not work out. Three fouls in the first eight minutes ended up just stinking all around. Where the ownership's coming in right now, he just looks fine. Like, I think he's appropriately owned on a two-game slate. You could argue maybe a little bit under-owned, but he's priced, the way the DraftKings has it at least, he's priced exactly like the other two guards out there, and it just makes Lowry look a little bit more appealing. Um, and even Fred Van Vliet is going to come in at similar ownership, just as appealing as Siakam. So there's really no strong stance on it. I guess everything that I'm checking out for him just looks appropriate, and it probably just leans me, uh, if I was to play 150 today, to probably come in at like 25% to 30% where he's coming in right now. 
Does it surprise you that the the usage on this team is so insanely spread out? And and I know to just to be to be fair about this, this is a team that has a lot of guys, a, a lot of players that can contribute. There's there's no denying that. Uh, if you look on the season at the numbers from from the Toronto Raptors, it, it's it's also a pretty spread out usage from Pascal Siakam at 28 percent. Abaka is always going to be second here just with the the work he puts in off the bench or even as a starter. Lowry, 22. Fred Van Vliet, 21.7. Norman Powell, 20. Like, there's just it's, – it's, it's one of these strange teams where you have you, – you want to get them at the right price. And what I mean by that is a lot of times you'll see one or two Toronto players underpriced. You might see some overpriced. It's always hard to say, you know what, I'll settle for this price, even though he's a little bit too expensive. And it's hard to pass up the cheaper options when they're underpriced because you never really know which one of these guys, despite maybe a or uh, discounting maybe the spot where it's like a fantastic backcourt matchup. But all in all, against the, a Boston defense that is very solid, has even improved their frontcourt defense and their ability to protect the rim. Uh Toronto spreads things out so much that sometimes you just have to take the best prices available. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's why I think Lowry, probably for most people, just ownership early on is going to look like the most appealing. It's marginal pricing wise, but he's like an $8,000 player that you're getting a little bit of a discount on. You're probably going to get somewhere around 15 shot attempts and rivaling the most usage on the team. So yeah, Lowry's probably the guy from this team that I like the most right now. But I, I think that he's been cheap for a while now. He's $4,100, a couple hundred dollars more expensive. Uh, than he was the other day. I think he was 3,900. But Marcus Gasol is probably the next best, just point for dollar wise. I'm going to be looking at. It's just risky with the minutes. If, if they if they play like two to four minutes overlap again together, I don't really think that's going to be the case. Uh, but it makes it a little bit more secure. But I'm projecting him for right now 23 minutes and 25 for Ibaka, and it makes Gasol just because of the price point uh, stand out a little bit more. Are you willing in any spots to get to somebody like Ibaka? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No or is that price point at this at this uh, at this juncture is it is it too prohibitive because he's not he's not cheap at all. He has put up some monster games um on a usage front. He has been the second highest usage player, not just in the regular season, but also uh, in this postseason as well. So he is going to get opportunities. There's no doubt Abaka is going to get work when he's out there. He's going to block shots, which is something that he's been uh, proficient at throughout his career, uh, not nearly as much anymore. And he's going to rebound. But when you're talking about $6,200 on DraftKings, that's getting up there. Uh, and then on FanDuel, 6500 power forward eligible. Any interest there? Yeah, probably more so on Fanduel actually, just with the block upside. But I think that on DraftKings, it's not going to be that much. I, there's a case that he's probably like going to be one of the lowest owned, if not the lowest owned player that has a massive ceiling on him today. So on a two game slate, that's where the, the upside comes from. But if you're trying to build somewhat optimally, I probably don't go there, especially center eligible only. You have Jokic on the slate that we'll talk about. There's some other guys like Gasol who I just mentioned. There's a lot of centers, and he might actually, with a couple of value centers, be the worst option when you factor in everything. So yeah, he's probably going to not pick up ownership, and I understand why. Any other thoughts on Toronto from top to bottom here? I mean, the team just looks like appropriately priced all across the board, whether it's OG going to play 34, 35 minutes and not do much on the offensive side at $4,800. Like, all these guys on a two-game slate, they'll be there. I think that OG over Powell, obviously, just for starting reasons minutes-wise. So I'll just give a nod to OG and Anobi. i probably rank it right now. Lowry, Gasol, and OG for the interest that I want to get to, and the rest of them just kind of fall into a bucket of just looking average. Okay. Uh, yeah, and if you're if you're looking at at the backcourt here, potential assists for for Lowry and Van Vliet, 
uh, in the postseason. Lowry's at 10 potential assists per game. You find this on NBA.com stats. Fred Van Vliet at 10.8 potential assists per game. There, there is not a lot to differentiate these guys, and, and that's another thing that makes it kind of difficult. Kyle Lowry touches per game, 65.6. Fred Van Vliet, 73. Um, you know, again, there's you're not going to find a ton that, that makes these guys all that different. It's just you're hoping to get the one guy on the game that he has the or on the night that he has the big game. And you're if you're talking about whether it be touches, whether it be drives, um, where Van Vliet is averaging 13 drives per game, Lowry's at 7.2. That's one differentiator, but it all comes down to whether or not those are turning into opportunities to score or to uh, or to dish out assists. If I, I you said it right now, if, if you're deciding between Lowry and Van Vliet at basically the same price, 7,877, sorry, Lowry 77, Van Vliet 78, uh, or on FanDuel where Van Vliet, what was Van Vliet on FanDuel? 80 or 76 and Lowry is 75. So they're a hundred dollars separated on each site. Is it clearly Lowry for you? Or is this just a, I guess I'll go Lowry here, but it's hard to, to, to draw a difference. So like cash games, it, it'd probably be clearly Lowry, but I assume he's going to be one of the highest owned players and probably the highest owned player on this team. So that's where it gets closer. The only like things that I could differentiate is you're going to have a better chance at a ceiling from Van Vliet because he's probably going to just shoot more threes overall spot up off of screens. And Lowry, you're going to have a lot better chance of just give me free throws. Like you could secure Lowry for just five more real points, probably because of free throws over Van Vliet, but you're probably going to see like on average seven to eight, three pointers, six to eight, three pointers, for Van Vliet, where Lowry's probably going to put up like three or four. So it, that's where the big difference comes in. And that's what you're banking on at that point. Like, is Fred Van Vliet going to make an extra two or threes, one or two threes today? Um, so, yeah, and GPPs, if he's half the ownership, then, yeah, that's where it starts to shift. But when it comes to cash, it would be Lowry. Last thing here. Are you surprised to see that Ananobi right now is is garnering almost 40% ownership projection? Yeah, I would think so because, I mean, he looks like, okay, it's like a filler, but there's a lot of other players that look like him. I mean, I'm sure Jeremy Grant will pick up ownership, but – even Marcus on his own team, cheaper, looks like him in terms of like a point per dollar for me. There's a lot of other guys in this slate. I would say about four guys within $500 of him that I think look just as good, and I would assume some of them are going to be lower on. All right, let's flip it to the other side of this game. Uh, Boston Celtics across the board were impressive. I think they had six or seven players in double digits last time out, which is, you know, it's a testament to how well this team is designed. And I said, I think I said it to you at one point earlier in the year when we had a discussion like this. I've mentioned it often that Boston was a team I didn't think could win the finals because of one simple reason. And that was that they don't have a superstar. They didn't have a superstar earlier in the year. Every day, Jason Tatum looks more and more like he's becoming a bona fide superstar. And if that's the case, this team's going to be very difficult to beat. Defensively, in the wing and in the backcourt, they are strong. Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, not as much Kemba Walker, but at least he's not an entire liability. The guy can score and he can dish out assists. Daniel Tice is only improving. He put 13 and 15 up last game with two blocks and a steal. And then Jason Tatum has been spectacular. So it's a really, really well-rounded team. Collectively, they are without much weakness. If Jason Tatum is capable of taking games over late, like a James Harden would, like a LeBron or a Kawhi Leonard or a Damian Lillard would. That could push them over the top. Now, I'm not saying it will, but they are they are very much a, a, a formidable force now that Jason Tatum looks like he's becoming a legitimate superstar caliber player. Yeah, and he plays so loose out there. And in the last game, which is very scary for Toronto, like Tatum was, I mean, if you just watch the game, he looked like the best player on the court. But Kemba just quietly was plus 25 and also was playing like a best player on the court. So if that combo was going, and I mean, that's what they expect when they signed Kemba. They expected him to be the superstar and Tatum's just kind of overtaking that and overtaking. Yeah, that's the crazy part. You're right. You're right. The the roles have shifted. Exactly. And at at this point, it seems like Kemba is fully over his injury. They were limiting him to like 35 minutes in that last series. He comes out here and they they just don't push their starters all the way with a 20-point lead. But he plays 32 minutes after coming out for the final three or four minutes. So it it seems like any minutes limits for these guys are all off. And that's scary if he's going to be clicking as well. Not only from a just pure shot standpoint, carrying over from the last game of the Sixers series for Kemba, but just assists, dimes. I think he picked up a double-double in the first game of the series with 10 assists. So that's where it gets scary. And that's probably where I'll start is just Kemba. Uh, $7,600 on DraftKings. 
right now, at least early on, it looks like Jalen Brown is picking up more ownership. He's cheaper, so that makes sense. But if that's going to be the case, I'm probably going to go right back to Kemba from this team. Everything looks fine with Tatum. He's kind of in this weird bucket of all those guys, all the guards, at least in the 9K range, small forward for Tatum if you want, um, power forward even. They kind of look similar for like value. But Kemba's going to be the guy if there's not going to be as much ownership that I'm going to. They're slowly letting this guy just go with his minutes. Like in a close game today, Tatum and Brown will probably play 40 minutes, 38, 39 minutes. And for the most part in the playoffs, Kemba and in the bubble has been playing like 34 in those types of games. But if they don't get blown out in that last game, or if they don't do the blowing out in that last game, he's probably picking up like 36 minutes. And it's unseen if they just let him roll the entire fourth quarter and play 38. So I think that's where the true upside comes from because at that point, he's not a $7,600 player. He's like an $8,400, $8,500 player. So I think that's going to happen one of these games in the series, and I'd rather be early on it. So Kemba looks like the guy from Boston that I'm most intrigued by if I'm paying up. Otherwise, a little sneaky play, which is not going to be sneaky once everybody watches any type of content today, but Robert Williams in that last game, uh, that's kind of exciting to me. I'm a big Robert Williams fan, and he looked good in 18 minutes. You know what else is crazy? That they've been playing without Gordon Hayward, too. Yeah, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think either way they probably wouldn't have had him for the series because all these NBA players are, like, planning to have kids right now because it's, like, their easiest time of the year to just not have workouts and anything, usually. So that's why, like, Mike Conley's leaving the bubble. People are leaving the bubble for kids. And, and I think Gordon Hayward's like about to have a kid any day. I was listening on a podcast. Interesting. Another team that can spread it out a ton, and it shows you these teams are just built so strong from top to bottom. But – uh, Jason Tatum in the postseason, 28% usage, Kemba 26, Jalen Brown 24. It's not very spread out. Uh, if you take Gordon Hayward off the court, you're looking at, and I know you touched on some of this here, but um, not this specifically, but if you if you take Gordon Hayward off the court, uh, Tatum's still at 28, Kemba's at 26, Jalen Brown's at 24. Granted, Gordon Hayward didn't play a whole lot, but point being is they're, they're going to move the ball around a lot and you have to find balance, which leads me to my next question before we move to this Utah-Denver game, which we have a lot to talk about. When you're building lineups here, uh, interestingly, all of the not, – not all of them, but between these two games, there are no true guys that we would define as elite caliber studs from a DFS standpoint. Postseason different, right? We'll get to Jamal Murray. We'll get to Mitchell. But you don't have your Anthony Davis. You don't have your Giannis, right? You don't have um, – LeBron James or, or, or Damian Lillard or Luka Doncic. It's a bunch of really good players that have built really solid teams in Boston and Toronto. And then in Utah and Denver, you got a guy in Jamal Murray who's just shouldering the entire load. But between Boston and Toronto, is this a game that you want to have? It's only two games. I get that. But do you feel comfortable just spreading exposure out to a bunch of Boston because it's it's it could be Kemba, it could be Tatum, um, it could be somebody else? Yeah, I think that's the way. I think there's merit on these two game slates to really just going for almost full game stacks at that point and just hoping that the game stays closer than a blowout in the last one, especially when it comes to Boston and Toronto, because you know if the game's close, they're playing like pretty tight eight man rotations. Most of the starters are pulling towards forty minutes, especially in the playoffs. So. Yeah, it's appealing. The opposite side of that, you have a game seven where every starter is going to play 40 minutes. Like you might see Jamal Murray playing 45 minutes today. So that's where it gets really appealing. But yeah, I think both these teams have a lot of upside on a lot of their players. I would probably lean towards Kemba the most if ownership's going to hold where it is right now. But you can make just as much of an argument for Tatum's ceiling, for Jalen Brown's value at his price point and all that type of stuff. Top plays from this game. Yeah, so right now from this game, I'm going to go with Factoring in ownership, I think Kemba is probably going to be my favorite play on the Boston side of it. Um, Robert Williams, at least worth pointing out. Somebody asked about Daniel Tice foul trouble. He did get in foul trouble, uh, but Luffy can probably talk more on this. Ennis Cantor didn't play. He mainly played in the Sixers series, at least I believe, because of he was the only guy that can probably limit somewhat Joel Embiid uh, size-wise. And I think Bob Williams is probably going to play. I have him for 15 minutes today, 3,300. It looks okay from a value standpoint. So, yeah, Kemba, Williams – Marcus Smart from the Boston side, from the Toronto side, Lowry. Yeah, and another thing, too, uh, Daniel Tice was in considerable foul trouble as well. In that yeah, yeah he, he picked up like two or three in the first He quarter. fouled out in one. He had five in another, four in another, three early ones in, in another game. So I, I think that has something to do with it. But, uh, yeah, and, and in the one game, I believe it was just a massive blowout where Ennis Cantor got late game minutes. All right, let's move it on here. Utah and Denver, before we do, just want to let you guys know that awesomeo.com 
is truly the best, the, the, the preeminent spot to get your DFS content. We do a lot of free stuff here. Love giving you free content every day. Uh, you know, I, I come on and, and love doing these shows and, and, and having the community feel you got you guys in chat and everything. And it's awesome. But if you're, if you're looking at the projections or looking to get into that stuff and really take your game to the next level with the ownership that we mentioned, the boomer bust tool in baseball, you'll hear us reference top stack tool all the time. It's such an important tool for baseball, for stacking, for MME, the ownership, the player projections, all of which were developed and used by Alex Baker. Awesome. You know, him, number one ranked DFS player in the world. We don't just slap his name on him. These are his tools. He uses them. He wins with them. And so do our subs. So, uh, the, the Roger was the Roger promo yesterday ran out. It was for NFL. It was a massive promo, but we're going to be doing more. So stick around uh, or check it out at awesome.com slash join. You can do weekly passes. You could do all access monthly. You can do an express weekly. I personally think the monthly is the best. You get everything from PGA to UFC to NASCAR to football, basketball, baseball, League of Legends, anything out there, if they run contests on DraftKings or FanDuel or Yahoo or SuperDraft, we have content for it, free and premium. Uh, we have the lineup builder, all of our premium articles. These guys put a ton of time into it. But not only that, this stuff is going to help you win. Uh, and you can even check the testimonials out at awesomeo.com. Don't take it from me. Take it from people who have won real money playing with awesomeo.com tools. So go to awesomeo.com slash join and scroll to the bottom so you can check out the videos on the tools. You can check out tutorials to know what you're getting into before you decide that you want to join. Uh, and when you do join, and I think, you, I, I think you know, you, you'll convince yourself. Hop into our premium Slack chat. Say what's up. We got people talking in there. Uh, DFS, sports, sports betting, everything all day, all night long. So definitely a community here. Become part of that Awesomeo family. Go to awesomeo.com slash join. We'll see you over there soon. All right, Sal, one down, one to go. Utah, Denver, really, really strange stuff here. Now, the, the Denver Nuggets are, are laying one and a half points. This game has a two nine, 218 and a half total, right? Let me let me run. I was doing a little research on this and I came across some really interesting things. So Denver's defensive rating through the first four games was 131. It's 113.8 over the last two. So it's improved a little bit, but it's a small sample. Here's the crazy part. They are attempting or sorry, they average 45 points in the paint per game in the regular season. They're averaging 31 points in the paint per game in this series. Which leads you to the next question. Well, where's their production coming from? Listen to that. Their three-point shots, they're attempting 43% of shots from beyond the arc. That's up almost 10% from the regular season. They're, they've changed the way their game is working. Utah's attempting 46% of their shots from three-point range. These teams are first and fourth in effective field goal percentage. They're allowing no fast break points at all. So they're setting up in the half court. They're just ripping off threes. Denver can't get any points in the paint, but they've won consecutive games because Jamal Murray is carrying this team on his back. He's got a 35% usage rate over his last three, 30% assist rate, 13% rebound rate, 1.7 fantasy points per minute. It's just remarkable to see the shift in this team from what they did in the regular season where they could get down into the paint. They could cause trouble with Nikola Jokic. But Rudy Gobert, what, forget about what you think of him. They've done a good job of keeping uh, Jokic and this team away from the basket, not allowing a lot of points in the paint, but they're getting crushed on three-pointers. And you've seen uh, Denver's frequency of three-point attempts go through the roof because they're succeeding. It's really wild. It really is. And it's like, I mean, for the most part, it's on the back of Jamal Murray right now, like even from three-point range. The guy goes 9 of 10 in the last game. I think Mitchell did too. 90% from three yep. and to an extent to a little bit, probably why the defense picks up some uh, just Jeremy Grant playing over Michael Porter jr. More at the three and Jeremy Grant. Now who's a decent three point shooter uh, playing at the three. He can easily stretch and take a little, a couple more three pointers. That's probably helping them as well in the series, at least the last two games, uh, two and a half games since that's been happening really. So yeah, th these games have been insanely fun to watch. It, it just makes sense. It has to go to game seven. Yeah, no question. Let's dive into it then. Uh, a ton of threes again, 46 and 43% three-point attempts from each team. Not percentage, but they're attempting 46% of their shots and 43% of their shots from three. It's been nuts, especially with being that this is the slowest pace series in the postseason thus far, and it's not close. They're averaging 93 possessions per 48, Sal. So uh, 
Still a lot of scoring, still a lot of three-point attempts. We'll start with the Utah Jazz and uh, look no further than Donovan Mitchell. He has been very productive. Last game, he just got outdueled by Jamal Murray, who was that much, just, just a little bit better than he was. 44 points, six boards, five assists for Mitchell. 30 uh, and five the game before, 51 and seven prior to that. He's had a couple monster games, 57 and seven in that overtime loss in game one. He's $9,900 on DraftKings now. I think it makes sense that you're getting him at this price, given how good he's been. Still only 8,500 on FanDuel, though. That's pretty alarming. Yeah, and yeah, that is. I mean, looks good there. And his multiplier on SuperDraft is like 1.2, so that, that looks fine, too. Or 1.3, so that also looks fine. Um, yeah, it's interesting because this slate, you mentioned it earlier, there's really not a lot of studs. He's, there's nobody in the 10K range, plus five figures. He's the most expensive player, and deservingly so. And then there's also the caveat that it's game seven. And I'm projecting Mitchell right now. I'm projecting Mitchell for 42 minutes, Jamal Murray for 42 minutes. At that point, you're just playing for the points upside. The value is not really there. But they can just as easily play 44 to 45 minutes in this game, and now they look like the best plays in the slate, that simply. So if the ownership's low, and it looks like it's going to be low right now, I want to get these guys. Not only do you need pure points upside um, on these types of two-game slates, like you need guys, you need the guy who's going to score 55 today, even if it doesn't look like great point-per-dollar value. So, yeah, I'm going to be in on Mitchell again. I'm not expecting 50-point performances, but if their normal regular season run is 35 minutes, and now they can potentially play 45 minutes, it's just going to be easier to get to those types of performances. Uh, so yeah, he's not my favorite player in this team, but if the ownership's not going to come up on these guys and they're going to be like some of the lowest owned on the slate and playing the most minutes on the slate at the production levels they're at, I'm just going to go back to it. You don't expect 90% uh, from three again, but I also don't need that. I just need who's going to score the most points on the slate. Yep. Hey Sal, $50 super chat from Garth. Wow. That's uh, that's very kind. Thank you. Appreciate you, Garth. That's awesome, man. Appreciate all your guys' support here for sure. He says, great work, guys. It's greatly appreciated. Quick question. What is your opinion on bear handling exposure on a two-game slate? So, like, bear, like, with just, like, tracking your own exposures on your own? Is that what that means? Like, bear-handed exposures? I'm I'm not sure. If he wants to clarify, I mean, I'll I'll go with that. Um, Well, it's B-E-A-R. Yeah, I'm not sure so, if it's if it's just like by hand trying to handle your exposures. I mean, if it's anything like over 20 lineups, I used to try and do it in the past, like two years ago. It becomes very difficult, and you almost you almost automatically start putting in the same players, so you can bias against yourself. Which, if you're trying to not do that, it, it kind of defeats the purpose. So yeah, I mean, optimizers are what I would recommend. Obviously, not everybody wants to pay for those or can afford them. So yeah, I, I just do it in Excel. You, you can really quickly do it in Excel and just see what you're doing from that point. Um, but yeah, if you if he wants to clarify it, I could answer deeper okay yeah let us let us know what you mean garth really appreciate the super chat we'd be happy to answer that for sure chris austin hell yeah lafay d and sal the a team what's up my brothers what's going on man appreciate you hanging out with us as always so outside of donovan mitchell boom bus tool i meant to mention this as well uh donovan mitchell boom percentage is uh seven percent with a bust percentage of 66 percent in Osimo's boomer bus tool today, which is kind of crazy, but mostly because of that price point. And I would say this much, Sal, projections have not caught up to postseason Donovan Mitchell yet, right? Like if you're like, there's projections would be the wrong word, but you're, you're taking so much information in, right? With somebody like Donovan Mitchell with historical data that we have, you're not just saying like, okay, what he's done in the postseason is what's going to factor in. Is this somewhere where you might like manually make adjustments based on the way he's been playing? Because otherwise you're probably not going to get the projection that, that you should. Yeah, I did a little bit to like the point per minute, like historical production. There's like a couple of things. So um, it's a two game slate. So you need pure points upside. I also like when we get to the Denver side, I also like Murray more because I see the exact same things except he's cheaper. So it just looks better and same ownership levels. So like, I'm probably not going to get to Mitchell as much over Murray, but the case is the same for both of them. There's like a legitimate thing that's happening in this bubble with they're playing the same venue every single night. And the shooters are just absolutely gunning. Like if you look at one week of production or one month of production, it's NBA historic highs by a wide margin on three point percentages. You talked about it in the series for both teams. Makes and all that. Like, you don't shoot 90% from three consistently in like back to back games for players. Uh, Whether it's the backdrop or just feeling comfortable in the environment, travel, whatever it might be, that's actually a case. Um, So I I believe in that to an extent. It's hard to quantify that, but I think that 
you're seeing it in every single series and every single game. And then also just the minutes is why I think it's there. Like I'm not projecting 44, 45 minutes for these guys, but that upside I think is there more times than like their 10% ownership or their 15% ownership on a slate where you're trying to win a hundred thousand dollars up top. Yeah. I'll leverage that. You know what? They probably do see 44 in a close game tonight. And if that's the case, that's two minutes is all you need for them to be the 55 point scorer over a high on Jokic or something like that. The minutes, too, is of supreme importance. There are certain players that are going to get more minutes than others. Like Giannis, Giannis played only 34 minutes in that game yesterday. 34 minutes. If you're Quinn Snyder, if you're Michael Malone, right, if if you're Nick Nurse, shit, Nick Nurse will run his guys for 40 minutes in the regular season with without a second thought, right? But Donovan Mitchell's going to get at least 38 minutes. At least. I, I, I think – in a game seven, a do or die spot, Mitchell probably plays. Did you say 45? I can't project it for that, but I'm, 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 yeah, I'm giving him. I have him at 42. I, yeah, I projected him for 42, but um, sure. I'm not shocked that they play him 44, 45. Today. I mean, what was it? McCollum just played 46 the other day. Yep, you have to. You, what, what option do you have? So that's really important. So if you're t- taking a look at like permanent production and usage, be sure to consider this isn't your normal 35 minute per game. This is entirely different. So given that Donovan Mitchell has a 38% usage rate, 1.57 fantasy points per minute uh, in this series or in the postseason, if, if you take that across 42 minutes, you're talking about 66 fantasy points. Is it perfect? Of course not. But is he likely going to have every opportunity to carry this team to victory today? Yeah, no question. And uh, in this in this series alone, the usage outside of Donovan Mitchell is 25% Jordan Clarkson, and then it falls off a cliff uh, after Mike Conley. You got a few guys in here like Rudy Gobert, 17%, Joe Ingles, 11%, Royce O'Neal, 9%. You got a couple guys in that 20, low 20 range, but Donovan Mitchell is going to shoulder most of this, uh, most of the weight today, uh, and we'll get to Murray in a second. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't, I don't really care about that price point because I think you're going to need to get one of him or Murray, maybe both. And I personally like this game more than the first one because I know that two guys, specifically Murray and Mitchell, are going to have 35-plus percent usage unless something insane happens. I can't say that for Boston-Toronto, Sal, and that's not to say that I don't like players from that game. We do. But it is to say that you don't have a Donovan Mitchell and you don't have a Jamal Murray on those teams from a guaranteed minutes and usage standpoint, like you do in Utah, Denver. Yeah. And if you wanted to make the argument that Kembo or Jason Tatum can be close to that on the Boston side, they also don't like just run their players for the 40 minutes, unless it's like right down to the wire that game. Sure. Again, that's not a guarantee. So, you know, no matter what, like Jamal Murray, even if they're down by like 15 heading into the fourth quarter in this game seven, he's probably rolling out there for 40 minutes of play today. So that's just the extra security you get from it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, What about the, what about the uh, the? Hold on a second. One second. One second. Okay. Somebody said that he was saying, "What is your opinion on best handling exposure?" That's probably what he meant. Yeah. So for that. Oh um, yeah, he's saying best. Yeah. Let, let's let's cover that real quick, and then we'll close this game out because uh, Garth was very kind, and I think this can help. You know, more than just him. So go ahead, Sam. Yeah, so if, he, if he's talking about exposure just from, um, like, using an optimizer, I mean, that makes it a little bit easier. But, yeah, I'll just crunch a ton of lineups. So if you want to play 20 max or if you want to play 150, whatever stakes, I'll crunch, like, 300 lineups and then just comes down to total ownership of the lineup. So, like, the individual players, I'm not too – when you talk about it, it's easier to say I want to be underweight on this guy. But it, it more so comes down to that, like, specific lineup. So you want to look at it, and it's different for every single slate. Obviously, a two-game slate, there's going to be more overall ownership because there's less players. So it's going to gravitate more towards everybody being like 30 to 40% owned. So you want to go towards the overall lineups. Uh, if you're using Fantasy Cruncher, I'll project 300, sort by either if you want to do projection or ownership. If you sort by ownership, and you just pretty much find what the average ownership is that day. And I'll just start tossing out like the most owned lineup and just quickly do that. And then once you have your exposures, that'll naturally like say, okay, this is where I'm actually coming in on this guy. That's the easiest way to do it. There's like more advanced ways with algorithms to set like limits and stuff, but that's probably the easiest way to do it is just set it, filter by exposures, find the average ownership on that day and just try not to have all of your lineups be over the average ownership because now you're just playing all chalk and it's really difficult to ever win solo at that point. 
Can you buy into the narrative that Donovan Mitchell was super pissed after last game, grabbed the handle of a stationary bike, pulled it down in frustration, made a scene. He made a mess, Sal. I mean, if that makes him shoot instead of 90%, 100%. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Get it up a little bit more. But, but the other thing on Mitchell, um, they're letting him have whatever he wants. Like, they tried the first two games to stop him. Like, if you watch every single one of these games, the elbow jumper, they don't put a man on him. They don't even try. They just say, all right, if you want to make a mid-range jump shot, that's fine. Do it on us. Last game, he went nuts from three as well. So, like, he's going to get his. It's just a matter of, like, what is the limit for it? They're just trying to stop everything else, like limit the Royce O'Neal cheap threes or whatever it might be. Because Murray is or Mitchell is just doing whatever he wants, and they're just saying do it. He shot 25 times. He went 14 to 25 from the field. What else are you doing with Utah from Mike Conley to Jordan Clarkson? Does does Conley, who has been coming in at a a, a reasonably respectable price point and giving us pretty much what we expect, consistent – 30 plus, give me a look, look at these numbers, DraftKings points, 38, 39, 33, 39. That's what he's done in this series in the four of six games that he's played. He played 32, 35, and 34 minutes over his last three. Uh, I'd put him around 35 today. I don't see him getting Mitchell numbers. Maybe he gets 36 or 37. Does does Donovan Mitchell come into play for you today? Or I'm yeah, sorry, uh, Mike Conley? Yeah, Mike Conley does. I'm being I'm being aggressive with it. I gave him 36 minutes, but I think that there's the training wheels are off on him. He he seems completely fine conditioned. Yeah. I think he could play 38 if they really needed today. But I gave him 36, and he starts looking nice at that point. I think you're going to get an ownership discount as his price point keeps coming up as it should. But I still think you're in a good spot. He's going to be over a fantasy point per minute guy. He's probably going to be the second highest usage player on this team. And when he's not on the court with Jordan Clarkson, he's probably going to command most of the ball handling responsibilities. So. Yeah, Conley's a guy that I think might be one of the sneakier options today just because if a lot of places are going to project him for 33, 34 minutes and people use optimizers, he's not going to get into those lineups. Once you start projecting for 35 or 36, he gets in a, a good amount more, like above the average ownership today. So I like Conley. Gobert looks fine. It comes down to like how can you fit all these centers into your lineup. The value seems to be coming from center today all the way up top. The the upside in Jokic is at center. So I think Gobert's fine. I, I don't really have a strong stance on it. I think the ownership is fine there, but – yeah, I think Conley's somebody who kind of will pop up as like not a great play for a lot of people, but it's like the difference of a minute to where he becomes like one of the best plays in the slate for me. It's crazy that Mitchell's right now projected for 14% ownership, Conley at 23.9, which really isn't that high at all. Uh, Royce O'Neal right now getting the highest ownership on the slate. People are searching. They're in dire straits here, Sal. Look desperate for value. It appears that Royce O'Neal is where many people will be settling today. And one of the re- – look, he's complete offensive – I won't even say liability because he doesn't get opportunities. Defensively, he's very good, and they need that. But he is playing 37-plus minutes in back-to-back-to-back games. He's done virtually nothing with that. But I think people are willing to say, hey, if he's out there for nearly maybe 40 minutes today, which he probably gets – he should stumble into at least a couple of rebounds, maybe a block, a steal, and hopefully eight or nine points to get me where I need him to go so I can jam in some of these better players. Yeah, if I'm playing like one or a handful of lineups, I really don't want any Royce O'Neal. Uh, so there's a couple of things with Royce O'Neal. Um, just he's, he's the cheapest of them, but you talked about Ananobi earlier. I'd rather get to Ananobi on that side of it. Just think a better player. Think they actually have play designs for him at the three-point line, whereas O'Neal is just strictly defense. And then Jeremy Grant's a little bit more expensive, but he would be like my favorite pretty much play at like $5,000 range or below. So I'd much rather get all my ownership there if you could swing the price. But then Royce O'Neal, there's two things that are happening that just absolutely drop any upside that he has from offense and you need to get steals and blocks. It's Conley came back and he's shooting 12 to 15 times a game and they're giving Jordan Clarkson more run as they should because he's just been not unstoppable, but very good off the pick and rolls right now in this series. So if Jordan Clarkson is getting three to four more minutes than he's normally getting. And that's on the field and that's on the court with O'Neal, high usage shot maker. O'Neal's getting no shots, especially the big ones, Conley coming back. So like if you're getting three shots out of O'Neal, four shots, it doesn't matter if he plays 45 minutes. It's you're, you're relying on steals and blocks at that time. And it's okay to rely on when he's like average owned or a little bit over owned because of the price. O'Neal's the most owned player on the court. The the exact same player is OG Ananobi almost from Toronto. And I would argue a little bit better. I'd rather go there at low ownership. Uh, I'd rather just stay away from it. Almost 600 people watching, only 110 likes. Can we boost that? 200 out of 500, no, 600. That's only a third of the people. We can, we can make that happen quite easily. I have faith in you guys. What's that? Disgraceful. Disgraceful. Disrespected. 
Uh, just kidding. We love you guys. We like it better when you hit that thumbs up, though. Uh, okay, anything else from Utah, from Rudy Gobert to Joe Ingles? Let's close this out and then put a bow on it with the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, I, I would say that Clarkson getting these extra couple of minutes the last couple of games is meaningful. He's $5,400. He has a ceiling on him. It comes down to if he's going to hit those pick-and-roll threes or not, but I would say it makes him appealing uh, at just fine ownership. The guys that I like here are probably Conley and Gobert are my favorite plays from this team. And then Clarkson and Mitchell will filter in after that. Um, not much else. Like Ingles, I don't expect to get to a lot of. And Royce O'Neal, I'd rather just go elsewhere than paying up for the guy who's going to be like half owned and get you like 16 fantasy points. Sal, how viable is an approach? Let's say we're building one or two or three lineups. How viable is it to get Mitchell and Murray in the same lineup and still make something decent on this slate? Yeah, I mean, I think so. They're, they're both in the 9K range, and there is, like, a lot of this slate just naturally is just at that 6K range and below, like everything, at, at the 5K range and below. And there's good 5K range players in the slate. I just talked about Clarkson to an extent. Uh, Jeremy Grant we're about to talk about. And there's Michael a lot Porter of guys Jr.'s got the upside to play more and get big game, but, but he's obviously uh, very volatile. Yeah, I, I think I think you definitely could do it. I think, I mean, people are going to play, like, we're about to talk about him, Jokic today, and then I'm sure they're going to have another priced-up player in that. When you do that, though, you're probably forfeiting a lot of the other games. So uh, that's where you, you kind of just start to want to filter in towards correlation and just get a game stack going at that point. Yeah. I have mentioned we can start with Nikola Jokic on the Denver side, and we might have a different opinion on this. I have mentioned that they have they have done a good job of preventing Nikola Jokic from getting uh, too many opportunities down low. Now, to be fair, he's still – been very productive on the scoring front. He's got 29, 28, 29, 31. Uh, what's interesting about this hasn't been as much as point totals, but his rebounding totals. He Since game two, he has not posted more than seven rebounds in a game. Rudy Gobert will do that to you for sure. Uh, and his assist totals, while they are still solid for a center, have been lacking a little bit too. And what's interesting is if you look at Jamal Murray's potential assists in this series compared to the regular season, he's averaging 13 potential assists per game uh, in this series in the postseason compared to only eight or nine per game in the regular season. Uh, his touches per game went from 75 in the regular season to 91 per game uh, in the postseason. So Murray's doing more ball handling. Uh there's no question, and, and I think more of that, a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're just doing a lot more outside shooting, and that is organically going to force the ball into their, their best players' hands, their best shooters' hands a lot more often. I'm not saying it's going to hurt Jokic, but I do think that the opportunities are down a little bit because Jamal Murray, beyond the arc, uh, is getting a lot more opportunity than we've seen in, in seasons past. 15, 20 touches per game might not be that much. But for someone like Jokic that can pass out of the out of the post, that can pass out of the elbow, it, it, it will affect him a little bit. And I think we actually have seen that uh, in his assist totals coming down in this matchup. Yeah, and there it, it's similar to like the trend of just shooting a lot of threes. That's what he's been forced to do. He's a fine three point shooter for a big, but a really good one actually. But he's just shooting more elbow jumpers. He's not in the paint as much. Um, whether that's just for drives and all the stuff that you were talking about. So yeah, like. On this slate, he looks good because of the price and like any projection that's not going to just fully take in the last like three to four games, it's just going to make him look good. And I think he looks fine. I, I think he looks safe as like a play if you want to play cash or even in tournaments, you want to start your lineup with Jokic and then build around that. I think a lot of people are going to do that. And I think it looks okay. I'm being aggressive with Murray's minutes, um, giving him 42. I don't even know if that is aggressive, but probably more than most people. And it just makes Murray look really good. So like factoring in ownership, Murray's going to be my favorite play in this game and maybe even on the entire slate. I'm like recency bias has just gone out the window. Like I'm shocked that this guy's not going to push. Like he's going to be what? Like one of the lowest owned guys in the slate that is actually starting Jamal Murray today. I I don't get it. But yeah, I, and like I I understand you're right. Yeah, so we'll see what ends up happening. If he's if if Murray is going to be like a third of the ownership as Jokic, I prefer Murray there in GPPs, and I like Murray a lot today. Again, the 42 minutes can be honestly a low number, and look, the argument might be there. Oh, he shot 90 percent from three. This guy's going lights out. Okay, he scored 70 fantasy points when he did that. If he doesn't shoot that and he scores 55 or 50 for you today, that's still very good at a price point of $9,700. So, yeah, Jokic projects out higher. I have Jokic for only three more fantasy points than uh, Murray today. But if the ownership is going to be that far off, Murray's probably, as he was the last game and the game before that, going to be my favorite play in the slate until the ownership level comes up. I don't understand the ownership there at all. I, 
it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like you said, yes, it's not, or no, it's not sustainable. Yeah. Like he scores 50 points. So that's not hard, easy to repeat. Although he's done it like twice now, but like, let's just say he goes out there and he scores 38 points today. He scores you 53 fantasy points. Right. Like, it, it's not that he's going to go from 90% shooting to like 20% shooting in this game. If he just shoots his average in 44 minutes and keeps taking 25 shots, he's going to produce. Right. And, and I mentioned this at the start of this game, 35.3% usage over this three game stretch. He's averaging 42 and a half minutes per game over this stretch. 13 plus potential assists, a rebounding rate of 13%. He's everywhere. He he's doing he's doing as much as he possibly can, and he's getting up a ton of shots. He's not getting to the line all that much, but it doesn't really matter at this point. You're getting 40 plus minutes. I think this price is fine in a must-win game. It's a do-or-die game. Sure, you'd love to see him. At, you know, he was 6,800 in game four, which is crazy. 6,800, Sal. <laughs> now he's up to 9,700. But uh, I'm all over it, and I'll tell you the truth. Ownership, pay close attention to ownership, very close, because that's going to dictate everything on a slate like this. Even somebody like Serge Ibaka, if he comes in at, what is he, around like 10% now or something, if Serge Ibaka comes in at 10%, I'm even willing to give him a shot in the event that Nick Nurse says, screw it, we'll do what we did before. Marcus Saul gets off to a bad start. They're getting beat up. So defensively, he's not helping. And offensive, he's obviously a liability. Serge Ibaka comes in and plays 30 minutes. Serge Ibaka could be in a game and a tournament winning lineup tonight just because no one wants to pay for him. If that's the case with Murray that nobody wants to pay for him on this slate, uh, I'll, I'll take that all day knowing what he's going to do. So we hit on Jokic, we hit on Murray. If there's anything else you want to hit on them, go for it. Otherwise, let's break down the rest of this uh, Nuggets team. Yeah, I, I guess the last things I would just say on Murray is like right now, I mean, just pure projection wise, he's my 10th overall play in the day, point per dollar, factoring in like all the cheap guys too. So I'm surprised as to like, I'll see what the ownership is. It must just be people projecting him for like 38 minutes, which I don't think there's a way he plays 38 minutes today unless he gets hurt or in foul trouble bad. But yeah, somebody said in the chat about double teams and that like never happens in the NBA. I don't think it's going to happen today, but the heat checks that like, him and Mitchell have been on Denver's answer for it has just been, just let him do whatever he wants. We'll focus on other people. Murray's, I think there's a chance they can try and double him at times. Um, but I, it's a very small percentage. Like I would say like them to double team him today is, is well below 50% chance. It'd be a lot harder to double him. If um, it'd be a lot harder to double him. If, if you had some, some help with like Will Barton, they could, they right. could open things up a little more with Will, or I'm sorry, it'd be a lot uh, hard. Yeah. Sorry. Harder to double. Him. Do I think it's possible? Maybe, but I think they have enough. I think they have enough scores to, 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 to help if they double him. If, by the way, if they do double him, do you think you would see if they if that is the game plan that they come into? Do we see more Michael Porter? Does Michael Malone say, you know what? Uh, let me get Porter out here. He's obviously proven asset offensively. Do we throw him out on the court to to make it impossible for them to double Murray until they stop? Yeah, I, I think in that scenario, it would make sense to have him on the court and just anybody who can hit a three and, and make them not have as much trouble. I, I think the doubles will be like traps. I don't think they're going to be having two guys hide up on him the whole can. entire game. Yeah, they, they, they can't. Can. The ball movement is just too quick in the NBA. It's in, it's almost impossible to double team guys now in the NBA. Uh, I think there's it, the conscious effort to double team is literally, it's like to try and heat check a player. Just like, okay, you are extremely hot right now and confident. We're just not even going to let you look at it. We don't care if somebody else scores on us. So like, there's a chance they do that. But they're not going to do it for 40 minutes that he's out there. It'll be when he's when he's on a ride, when he scored like back-to-back threes and they just put an extra guy in his face for in a possession or two. I don't think it's going to be anything uh, too crazy. No, and even if it is, Murray's going to have every opportunity to pass out of those double teams and, and create plays elsewhere. There's right. a good enough team. What, are, what? So are we doing anything else with the rest of Denver? Like Murray, obviously, both you and I are, are, are pretty, pretty enticed by him. Paul Millsap been all over the place really difficult to predict 35 minutes in one game outside of that he's played less than 20 in all of them he's been a huge disappointment in this series but you know what that's just the, the way it is Paul Millsap is, is not matching up well with this Utah team and it's 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 shown uh Jeremy Grant meanwhile not much more expensive he's playing huge minutes if he played 40 minutes today I honestly would not be surprised at all he's 5100 so I do think there are, are a few options and like I said Michael Porter Jr. If his liability defensively comes into play again and it's glaring, you could see him limited. But it's also possible that he plays 30 plus minutes. Now his usage has been has been curtailed for sure. And a lot of that has to do with Murray 
taking over. I'm not worried about somebody like Gary Harris uh, offensively, but talk to me about those three guys, Millsap, Grant, and Porter. Yeah, Grant's going to be my favorite play. He's probably like my favorite quote-unquote value, even though he's in the 5K range. It's just not a lot of options on the slate. Uh, on the slate, I gave him 36 to 37 minutes, somewhere around there is where I would expect him to play today, barring any foul trouble. So at 36 minutes, he looks like a really strong option. One of the better ones on the slate, point for dollar-wise. And right now, it doesn't look like the ownership's completely following it. So yeah, I'd be above that on Grant today. So I, pre- I feel pretty confident in that. On the opposite side for Millsap, yeah, I mean, since Grant's been playing in the rotations that they're going to, he's just this odd man out. So they don't really want to close with him. It doesn't match up that well for closing, especially when it comes to spacing. Like he could shoot from three, but they'd rather have somebody else out there, whether it is Michael Porter at that point. Michael Porter Jr.'s defense has, I will say, definitely improved, but it was almost rock bottom. So it's hard not to since the first like two and a half, three games of the series. So it's helping him get to like 27, 28 minutes instead of low 20s. Um, yeah, so I don't really have much confidence in, in Millsap getting extended run today unless he's just murdering threes and, and playing extremely well. I don't really want to leverage that. So it would be grand for the most part. Michael Porter Jr., I gave 27 minutes today. That's a very volatile number, but I think more times than not, he settles into that. If, Like you said, if, if he's hot, he's somebody who will stay on the court for an extra couple of minutes, and obviously that's going to be very beneficial. So it depends on ownership there. I'm kind of out the door in it right now uh, and more so just leaning towards Grant. And then the other thing to watch, it probably doesn't matter for – Shade of fantasy purposes, maybe like for Conley or Mitchell, just having Gary Harris out there more defensive reasons. But just see if they start Harris over Monty Morris today. Monty Morris has been fine, like nothing terrible about him. He's been okay when he's out there. But if they really want to put um, Harris out there just for a little bit more defense, I I think that will help. But you're taking like a zero on the offensive side. Somebody mentioned, a couple of people mentioned that Porter was was fine defensively in the last two games. Yeah, I I don't think either of us are, are, are arguing that, but there have been games where defensively Michael Porter has been a liability. Uh, yeah, no, he's, they're still targeting like in that, at least from the last game, I didn't watch much of the second half of the, the game or the first half of the game before that, but I watched like the entire last game. They're still targeting him when he's out there. Yeah. They're doing things to get him off of that, those situations. But at the same time, they're going to get theirs against him. It just can't be every single drive. Like it was for Mitchell in game two, literally six times in a row. ISO's Porter and goes right by him. So that has been solved to an extent. He's still playing below average defense by far, but it's just not rock bottom. Here's another thing, though. They haven't needed to stop the bleeding. This is this, They haven't needed to stop the bleeding like they needed to uh, in games two, three, and four, or at least uh, parts of games two, three, and four, right? In these games, they've either had the lead or it's been competitive. So Michael Porter Jr. out there, them beating up on him a little bit isn't as worrisome when Jamal Murray and your offense can go blow for blow and, you know, make two shots to their one on Porter. I think that's a big deal. If you go down a bunch early and your shots aren't hitting and Jamal Murray's missing and bricking his shots, then you could see an instance where Malone tries to make adjustments and get Porter off the court just to try and regain some balance in the, in the, in the offense or in the lineup. So um, all right, Sal, close us out. What else do we have from Denver? Uh, and then we'll do top plays from this game. We already did them for Boston and Toronto. Yeah, I think that's really it. I don't think you can really rely much on Tory Craig at this point. I would say that Gary Harris is going to really just eat into each other a good amount. I would say that the wild card is Michael Porter, depending on the minutes and, and just how he's shooting at this point. I think your safest plays um, are probably going to be like a Jeremy, well, really a Nikola Jokic. Jeremy Grant's the guy that I like the most from this team, but I would say if the ownership holds on Jamal Murray, he's probably going to be my favorite play on the slate. Yeah, no question. Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I am intrigued by Jeremy Grant at that price point. I think he probably plays 40 minutes. And then uh, going with uh, our, 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 our winners for each game, Toronto laying one and a half. I'm going Toronto here. Boston's won five straight in the postseason. I think Toronto comes out and, and puts the pieces back together, gets the win here. Uh, I'll lay the points with Toronto. And I'm gonna I'm gonna lay the points with Denver. This is a tough one for me though because I think it's it's going to be a very even game. It's going to come down really to who shoots better between Mitchell and Jamal Murray. But I'll go with the favorites in both games. What are you doing, Sal? Yeah, I'm gonna go back to Boston. Um, I'll, I'll, what, what Boston comes in as what? Uh, are Boston they're coming in as underdogs in this one? Like they're what, getting one, one and a half. Yeah. Okay, so they're getting one and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go with Boston on that side. It's mainly just what I saw out of Kemba is just staying with me a good amount. And also you're going to get more Tice on the court if you say I have any foul trouble. But yeah, Kemba was kind of not even talked about because of how well and just how great Tatum's been playing. But 
he played maybe arguably the best out of in that entire game. And that's very scary, especially if his minutes start to come up with the game stays closer. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll side on the Denver side of it. I think Utah had their chances in this one. I think Denver's done some adjustments on the defensive side. But really, it's just coming down to, like, at the end of it, like you said, like, who do you think is just going to step up the most between Murray and Mitchell? They can both step up. It just depends on what happens down the stretch. I'll take, man, yeah, I'll take Denver on that side. It's crazy that these are, like, probably the two closest spreads that we've seen in the postseason so far. Yeah, it's awesome. It's going to be a really fun night of basketball games for sure. Yeah, I'm excited for this. And it's, I think it's, what, a 5.30 start today, at least Eastern time? 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, and then 8.30 between Utah and Denver. Man, I've been going down in the basement every single night, throwing on the TV, sitting there, enjoying basketball. But having it back after five months is such a great feeling, man. So, yeah, it really is, and you're going to get another sport in like eight days, nine days. Oh, dude, I can't wait. Can't wait. You ready to do football content? Because I'm so excited for it. Yeah, I was talking to Nolan yesterday. I think uh, me and you were going to do a Tuesday show, and then I'll see if there's other shows. Awesome. Yeah, we had a ton of fun doing that last year. Definitely. Uh, the strategy show, breaking them down game by game. So we'll do it again. Thanks to all of you guys for hanging out. Get that like over 200. Come on, don't make me beg. We'll see you guys soon. We'll be back tomorrow for the NBA strategy show. Only a couple games or days left for two games. Coming up next, 11 p.m. Eastern time, it is MLB strategy show. Presented by Yahoo! NBA Live Before Lock coming up later. MLB Live Before Lock. And then, of course, the early bird will take you into the night and into the morning. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks for watching.